Welcome to Decode Your Burnout, the podcast where we crack the code on burnout based on three primary factors, your programming, environment, and personality. We also feature experts who debunk the myths about what it takes to be successful in their industry and spin those tips to fit the workplace so you can optimize the way you work. I'm your host, Dr. Sharon Grossman, a psychologist turned coach, author, and burnout expert. If you're burned out and want to go from exhausted to extraordinary, book a free breakthrough session with me by going to bookachatwithsharon.com. And if you want to see how you're doing and what to focus on next, download the burnout checklist. You'll find the link in the show notes or go to bit.ly forward slash check your burnout. Now let's get started. And welcome to another episode of Decode Your Burnout. I am your host, Dr. Sharon Grossman. This is the show where we look at people's different myths about what it means to be successful. We look at people's stories around burnout. But today, we're going to take a little bit of a different format. I've got a very special guest. Her name is Emma Codd, and she is the Global Chief Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Officer for Deloitte in London. In her role, Emma leads the firm's strategy on gender balance, LGBTQ plus inclusion, mental health, disability inclusion, and neurodiversity. This is alongside the development and delivery of thought leadership aligned to the strategy, including the annual Women at Work, a global outlook report, and we'll come back to that. Now, in 2021, Emma was awarded honorary membership by the UK's ICAEW for her work championing diversity and inclusion of women. Emma, it's really such a pleasure to have you here. And um, maybe you could just start by telling those of us who aren't familiar with that organization, the ICAEW, what that actually stands for. Uh, Yes, (laughs) and it's great to be here. Thanks for having me, Sharon. Um, The ICAW is the Institute of Chartered Accountants for England and Wales. So it's basically the governing body um, for my own organisation. I am actually not a chartered accountant. And so I never, if you told me 30 years ago that I would actually have this very incredible honorary membership, I think there were about 11 honorary members um, in total. So it was a real, um, it's just amazing. And it was wonderful. And actually, for me, it was more about external impact. It was the fact that it was for the profession. I had a UK role for six years um, where I had two very busy jobs um, alongside each other, one client serving and then one really focused on talent and people within the UK part of Deloitte. And and that was it was the recognition for the work and the change I brought around um, over that six year period. Well, congratulations on the award. And for people who aren't familiar with Deloitte, can you give us just like a brief synopsis of what is Deloitte? Do I know it's a global company, yeah. but but what should we know about Deloitte? Because you're representing them in some fashion here today. Yes. So Deloitte is an organization that, is, that operates across over 160 countries around the world. Um, we are a professional services organization. Um, and I'll explain a bit about what that actually is um, in, in a few moments. Um, we we have over four, I think it's over 420,000 people now. 
Um, and so, you know, it's, it's a massive, you know, our people, that's that's what we have. We, we only have our people. We don't sort of make gadgets, widgets, anything else. We've just got this incredible, incredibly diverse, actually, but incredible um, group of people. We The services that we conduct for clients are around sort of a number of main, five main areas. Um, so consulting, so that's sort of management consultancy, really exciting strategy projects, that sort of thing. Um, audit and assurance, which is obviously, you know, companies that have an annual audit or assurance process every year. Um, tax and legal. Um, so, you know, doing tax advice for clients and, and also accompanying legal um, work. Then we have risk advisory, which is really exciting stuff like cyber crime detection um, and that sort of thing. And then the final one, I mean, remember, yes, it's the one I used to be part of, um, the part, uh, uh, which is financial advisory. And that's your sort of advising on deals. And then actually sort of thing that I used to do, which is advising uh, companies on risk, uh, investigating where things go wrong, um, all of that sort of thing, you know, where's the, the regulatory investigation. So so we, I always say, you know, if you join our organisation, you could sort of probably have 40 careers, 40 amazing jobs if you moved around our organisation, because we just do so, you know, a, a load of really incredible and, and interesting and engaging work. Yeah. And it sounds like the, on the recipients, uh, and if you have a big business, you guys pretty much take care of everything. So, so that's really great. Uh, and that just gives us a little bit of a background of what you're doing and who you're doing it for, but let's really jump into the reason I asked you to be here today. And that is the women at work, which is that global outwork report. And, uh, there was one that was, uh, issued recently 2023. And that is, quite insightful. There are a lot of different directions that we can go in, but I'm specifically interested in the intersection between women, the workplace, and the effect that one has on the other. So first question, how has the pandemic affected women's mental health in the workplace? And what are the current trends in terms of support and stigma? Yeah, so so that's a great question to start with. Can I set a tiny bit of context first? Because I think it's so important for people because we can see how the pandemic, you know, over a period of time, obviously pandemic 2020 onwards. Now, we have been doing this women at work research uh, since, you know, it's our third year of publishing this report. First year publishing was 2021. Prior to that, we did a pulse survey. So we did a survey and I hasten to add these reports are not of our own people. We, we have continuous listening with our own people. We ask them loads of questions. We always strive to do better. But this is of women who are not Deloitte women, so women in the workplace across 10 countries. Um, there's Australia, Brazil, Canada, China, Germany, India, Japan, South Africa, the UK, and the US. So originally, when we did the Pulse survey, so it was around 600, it was teeny tiny, we wanted to have a quick look at how the pandemic, exactly the question you've talked about, how the pandemic was, was impacting women in general, including from a mental health perspective. And the picture, as you can imagine, in 2020 was awful, absolutely shocking. So you had really high levels um, of uh, stress and anxiety, had increased responsibility in the home, increased responsibility coming you know at you from a workplace perspective you know we all know I mean my life literally as I knew it my slightly ordered I always say that I was um, you know I went from sort of juggling loads of plates and somehow making it work to hanging on by a thread 
in you know over a period of you know a few months back in 2020 so so we and we wanted to have a look and you know sort of for me it was like as my experience reflective of everyone else out there and and yes unfortunately it was um I'm a parent so I have twin daughters who are now 14 but at the time they were you know they were younger and yes needed less needed less supervision on things like homeschooling but they still needed me and they still but then work needed me and so so I was very much I would say um you know I was adversely impacted from it without a doubt I now now then 2021 was the first sort of year that we thought right we can now ask wider questions and we didn't want it to be about the pandemic that was really important for us because actually what we wanted this to be was was a way that we can look over a period of time at what women really feel when it comes and what they really experience when it comes to workplace because we read lots of stuff about women on boards and about you know this this sort of you know we, we have uh, targets to get number of women in senior roles but 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 and and yes there's progress around that but but the concern for me was was that masking something beneath that which was showing that you know that frankly that women were not in a great situation so 2021 was really reflecting the, the results that we got in the pulse survey it was pretty awful what we call the perfect storm gain increased responsibilities both in work and at home really high levels of um concern around mental health really high levels of stress and anxiety i mean it was really not a good picture at all and then 2022 I think came at a weird time. Certainly for me, I was starting to come back into the office, but I didn't have my caring structures fixed at home yet because I couldn't find anybody that could actually come out and, and help me. And so there was this whole, and I think that was the same for many, many carers. And we all know that that role, unfortunately, primarily is still run by women. Um, so, and, and so I think some of the findings we had in 2022, you know, we had really significantly high levels of burnout. That women were reporting burnout was the big reason in 2022 that that many women were looking for new jobs. Um, really, very concerning numbers around um, mental health, around always on, um, constantly feeling like you know we always have to be responsive. Um, and then, so that was the picture in, um, and actually some exclusion through hybrid working. Um, so really, just again a really worrying picture. 2023, so this year. We were really hoping, and look, it couldn't have been worse, to be honest. So the data could not have been worse on burnout. Non-inclusive behaviours had been really bad in 2022 again. Um, and so we, when we looked this year, we did see an improving picture on burnout. So I'm going to stick specifically to mental health and mental health related yeah. issues. Um, we, so, so we did see, so what was around 60% of, of women saying that they were burnt out? Um, that's reduced now down and and it's now just under a third of women say that they are burnt out the challenge though for me is that that's still terrible that is still you know it was I was struggling when I was writing the report because I wanted to show improvement and I wanted to say you know there is improvement but what I also wanted to say was it was against a really terrible terrible picture so so from a burnout perspective, we saw we've seen a lowering of that. Um, however, mental health this year, you know, for over half respondents, they say they cite mental health as one of their top concerns. Um, around a third say their mental health is poor, very poor. 
over half say their stress is higher than it was a year ago. And actually a really worrying trend is always on still because there's only just over a third of 5,000 women feel they can switch off from work. And so it's that mental load, it's that constant everything coming at you is still there. Now, that then leads you to say, okay, so, so support is really important and workplace support is so important. And unfortunately, that data has all gone down this year. So, you know, only four in 10, so they get adequate support with their mental health from their employer. And then only a quarter this year said that they felt comfortable talking about mental health at work. That's a massive decline. And exactly the same when it comes to giving the real reason when taking time off um, for mental health um, mm. reasons. So, so look, the, the trends in terms of support is, I think it's there. It's just people aren't accessing it. Women aren't accessing it. And we see the same trend, interestingly, and I will stop talking in a minute, but, but we do see a trend. We do a really interesting piece of research every year on millennials and Generation Z or Generation Z research. It's like tens of thousands. Of, of people around the world across a huge number of countries. It's so interesting. We see again far higher levels of stress and anxiety amongst women, amongst women respondents to, to that report. So there's like a 10 percentage point difference in, in some places. And, and we also see that while employers seem to be offering more support on mental health, it's not being accessed. So this then leads us to stigma. It's, it's, there is still, the stigma is still there. You've been talking about it more. We talked about it more during the pandemic, but guess what? That people still, if they do not feel able to access support, mm -hmm. then that's, you know, that's a really concerning picture. Okay. So just to kind of summarize everything that you've just said, if, if I got everything correctly, then um, when it was pandemic time, about 60% of women were burned out. That's gone down by about 50% to about 30% yeah. of women that are now yeah. burned out. And what you're saying is, even though there's this massive reduction in burnout, right? Like by 50%, that's pretty significant. Still 30% of women are burned out, which is a lot. And you're seeing that there's a lot of mental health concerns. And even when your workplace offers you some support around mental health, which is what's really needed in order to help mm -hmm. with these situations, that the reason the women aren't actually accessing it is because of stigma. It's yeah, and it's difficult to know because we don't know why they're not accessing it. And that's that's the problem. And, and you know, for us, what we're learning more and more is every year, I sort of sit there and think, oh, why didn't we ask that question? Why didn't we probe uh -huh. even deeper? And so next year we will probe even deeper. I hope next year we don't have a finding that says that women are, you know, fewer women are accessing it. I do wonder personally whether some of this is to do with the economic climate that we're in. Um, whether, because I, I sort of think about it and I was, I was talking to friends about this and saying, you know, is it that, is it that because of the stigma, attached to it so you're right it does come back to stigma but but where you're thinking oh I'm really worried maybe my employer is going to do some downsizing do you think that by putting yourself on a you know let, giving yourself a label effectively is there a concern that that may therefore you know make somebody take a decision when it comes to you that bit we, we don't know if that was the rationale behind 
behind these answers. But but you know, we I mean, interestingly, you know, we know that um, you know, with, with stigma, a lot of it is reflected in disclosure rates when people take time off sick. Um, you know, there's there's sort of group of people that just won't take the time off, um, and you get presenteeism there, and we all know the impact of that and the consequence of that. Um, and then you've got some group of people that will take time off, but will will just say, well, I'm taking, I've got a cold, or I've got, you know, whatever it is, rather than than you know absolutely disclose the real reason for it. And interesting with the millennials research, again, what we saw the trend, and we we'll still see that, you know, it, it was, I think it was around half the people that said they had taken time off for work for mental health reasons, around half gave a totally different reason. So, you know, so the, st- it, the stigma is still there. It's live and well. And I think for all the talk that you hear, yeah. my own personal view is that an organisation can have an amazing leader that can talk a lot about the importance of this. An organisation can you know, subscribe to apps or whatever it thinks are, are, you know, an appropriate way of dealing with this, make sure there's support in place. But if the leader you work for behaves in a way that you look at and you think, okay, I'm not sure how welcome it would be if I disclosed, that's what often what it comes down to is your direct leadership and sort of microcultures rather than, and that's a big challenge for organizations. Yeah. So in other words, in order to tackle the stigma, we have to change the culture. Mm-hmm. So it goes culture, yep. stigma, and then uh, accessing support. And culture is everything. I mean, I look, there's a reason why we have mental health under diversity, equity, and inclusion. And that's because of culture, because yeah. our foundation of everything we do from a DEI perspective, it relies on a foundation of a culture that is always respectful and always inclusive. Yeah. And that's when I talk about that, I mean, our everyday culture. And that's the reality that's it's so important from a mental mental health perspective as well. That's why we have it um, sitting under under there, because it, a lot of this is about culture and a lot of this is about leaders and how leaders yeah. lead. So this is actually really important, because what I also know paradoxically is that when you have a toxic culture, that's even more reason why people burn out. So it's like, on the one hand, that's the reason you're burning out. On the other hand, it's the reason why you're not getting the support that you need in order to recover from your burnout. So this is huge. Culture is really like a lot of what creates your experience at work. So I can understand why if you're having this really negative experience with your leader, you're more likely to burn out and stay burned out. Yeah. And, you know, we know that the sort of you know misalignment that um, expectations um, versus experience and the misalignment of that, and I sort of look at the you know the six factors, um, and, and I look at all those and think, well, of course they're logical, they're things that as a leader I should be providing for my team, and and you know and it, it's the sort of feelings of belonging and and all of those things that's so important, but but I think that. Look, so often as leaders, we get, you know, we're busy, we ourselves are, you know, under a lot of pressure and, yeah. and you know, you want to do the right thing. But and, and then it's just sometimes it's just sort of slowing down, taking a breath, taking a bit of time and actually thinking, you know, when I look at my team, are they, you know, is are their expectations matching their experience? Are they, what do I see? And, and I'm a big proponent of lived experience and of asking people 
and you know if if you really want to change something ask people how they you know how they feel how they're impacted ask what you could do better how could we do it better um you know to me that's so important from an you know as part of inclusive leadership yeah so i love how you're not just telling us the results of the survey about the problem, but you're also talking about what's going to help turn this around, right? So you're saying, yes, there are still loads of women at work that are burned out, that they're they're not accessing support to help them with their mental health challenges. And the reason for that is because of stigma and that comes back to culture. And that sometimes it's just about there's not somebody checking in with them. They're not asking the right questions about, you know, what is your experience? What are you expecting? Like, how are you feeling? What's going on? How can I help? So when you're not asking those questions, you're not going to know what's going on. Or maybe, as you said, the leaders are just so overwhelmed themselves that they don't have the bandwidth to ask, which I think is then a more systemic issue where the organization doesn't have something in place to make sure that these things are taken care of. And if it's not coming from the leader, that it can come from HR or from anybody else in the organization who takes on that role. Somebody like you too, who maybe is hired specifically for those kinds of solutions. Yeah. And I think, look, I I think a big part of this, and I look at my own organization and we still have you know, like any organization, we're not done, we're not finished, we have so much to do. But my goodness, we have set a mental health baseline in every country where we operate. We've had really clear expectations over an 18 month period. We put in place a number of requirements that absolutely we expected to see. And, and those were those were assessed. We looked at all of those, and it, you know, it was sort of this, this approach where it was educating, getting people to talk about it, use the words mental health. That was so important because we found so often that people had an adverse reaction to even using the words mental health and it, and was sort of dress it up in other ways and sort of trying to educate on what your mental health actually is. And then, then it was, you know, it, making sure, of course, support is provided, but also thinking about prevention, thinking about the way we work. I mean, the World Health Organization and their recommendations you know, really clear. Number one is the way looking at the way we work. And as leaders, that's a big, you know, that's our responsibility. And actually, that's a good thing. It will make us more efficient, more productive, um, you know, more successful. So it's taking the time to do that. And I, as a leader, I honestly feel like I have the support to do that. And I yeah. feel like, you know, for my organization, mental health is when we say it's an inclusion priority, it really is a priority. My CEO is a priority for our CEO priority for our leaders and then it's just a case of really trying for us trying to normalize the conversation so yes absolutely support in place but don't forget about prevention and then just try and make sure that everybody where they would like to that they feel able to share and they they feel able to you know to to just say look I'm not okay today and 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 then to know and of course for that leader then to know how to signpost to support that has been a massive evolution for us and we t- it's so important and it's something that just can't be ignored I think by employers so you're not only telling us about some of the solutions but you guys are actually already implementing them and you're measuring results and I think yeah. that is phenomenal because you know sometimes organizations know what the problems are and you know, they're like, well, we're, we're throwing stuff at the wall just to see kind of what sticks, but it's not working, right? Like we're offering support, but nobody's accessing it. So what are we supposed to do? 
I love that you guys already have a kind of step-by-step process that you have seen results with that other organizations can copy, can model, you know, can, can use as a reference of, Hey, you know, Deloitte is like this huge organization. They figured this out. They're doing things that are working. We can actually use some of these ideas in our own organization to make sure that people are accessing the tools that we have the right kind of culture in the workplace so that people feel safe and that they're accessing all of these great resources, which are going to help them, which then in return help us as a company because people aren't exhausted and irritable. And as you say, like showing up to work, but like not really like you're there, but not there, you know? Yeah. And I think, look, for us, a big part of this is there's so much of this. I get I, you know, you'll, you will know this. There are so many people out there that have the wonder solution. And I, I do think human beings tend to like a new shiny thing that is a possible solution. My, my own view is that much of this is about the basics. Much of the solution to this does not cost. It doesn't, you know, this is about basic being, you know, humanity. This is about learning to listen. This is about taking time with people. This is about understanding how to talk about it, how to sign posts to support and, you know, sharing stories. And, and I think if you can get that, that will go a big part of the way. I don't think it's necessarily just, you know, it's not about all singing, all dancing, you know, wonderful, shiny apps that people can access. Of course, they may help. But, but I think so much of this is about getting the basic culture um, you know, and that environment, and as you said, you know, feeling safe. It's about feeling psychologically safe. We, yes. we, 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 you know, we need physical safety in our workplace, and guess what? We need psychological safety as well. And and as a leader of my organisation, that's part of my job, and I expect everyone in my team to equally see that as something that they do. So, if we had to kind of boil everything down from what we've said so far it seems like psychological safety is the thing that if you have it in your culture people will be having these conversations they will be accessing the support that you provide for them so that they can take care of their mental health and show up to work to be their best selves and that's why creating this kind of psychological safety through conversations, through listening, all the things that you've said is at utmost importance. And the great thing about that is it really doesn't cost organizations a whole lot of money. It's really more about implementing these kind of sessions where people take the time to do it. It's really costing you more in time than in money. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the reality. I, you know, you often hear that, you know, well, we're, we're a small organization, we don't have budget. And I get that. I totally understand that. And, you know, I, I, but, but again, it's just recognizing that so much of this, you know, this is about how we feel, how you feel when you go into the office, how you feel when you dial into things every day. And do you feel included? Do you feel valued? Do you feel like you belong? And those feelings, you can't get them through an app. Well, I don't think you can. You get them through basic you know, through feeling safe and through feeling appreciated and respected at all times. Um, it's those sort of things. And again, you know, we ask a lot of leaders, I think, I think, you know, the load on leaders, the mental mm-hmm. load is becoming, you know, ever greater. But there are just some fundamentals that I think go across everything. You know, 
being a you know having a respectful and inclusive culture that is not jargon to me that is your everyday culture where people feel they can be themselves where they can belong that is just such a non-negotiable it is so important if you want to succeed not only from a mental health perspective but from a wider diversity equity and inclusion perspective where you know you can't get diversity of thought you know you talk about oh you know diversity is really important of course it's really important but it but you're not going to get the benefit of a diverse group if nobody feels they can speak without being judged so again it's creating that culture where people feel they can speak and it's you know and and, and empowering and enabling and to do that you have people have to feel valued trusted like they belong it's all of those things which i think most human beings really want to feel so you know one of the things you're saying is not just to um help you know, it's not this like just this idea of helping people feel safe. And it's like, so how do we do that? And you're saying, yeah, you want them to feel valued and you want them to feel belonging and appreciated and respected. But it's also about through the role modeling of we have this diverse and inclusive workplace. And that's how we demonstrate that we actually really care about this. This is not just, you know, us doing the the talk and checking the box. This is us actually following through with this thing that we call, you know, our work culture. We really believe in this and we want everybody to be here and we want you to feel safe because this is where people spend the majority of their life, right? You spend more time yeah, at yeah. work than anywhere else. So we have to create those kinds of settings where people are taken care of so that they can actually show up, do the good work that we hire them to do. And then we reap the benefits, you know, on the other end. And I'm curious when um, you have your experience at Deloitte where they've kind of implemented some of these strategies, have they seen, and I don't know if this is something that they measure, but have they seen that as a result of implementing some of this stuff in, and really having a very diverse and inclusive workplace that their revenue has changed at all? No, I mean, I think that's, so I can tell you that we have seen, you know, so, so from the introduction of the mental health baseline, we saw over 10 percentage point increase in the sort of scores around some fundamental questions about are people feeling able to talk about mental health at work or are people feeling as though if they mentioned um you know that they they were experiencing you know mental health challenge if they if they mentioned that to their leader that their, their leader would be able to respond to these fundamentals that really improved um our wider scores around uh, belonging and diversity inclusion in general also increased but what I can't do is link that directly into, you know, into improvement in results. What I can tell you is that I know from personal experience that, you know, when I feel happy, engaged, when I feel like I belong, when I feel really respected, I am, a, I am absolutely a dynamo. I'm so happy. I'm more productive. Um, you know, when I feel trusted, all of those things, I know from personal feeling, I know from running teams for many, many years. Yeah. That, that there's just and you know so that that's all you know there are lots of studies out there that that point to links between um you know results and um you know success from a revenue and um, possibility uh, perspective but I definitely unfortunately cannot I don't have anything internally that shows that I just know that our people are engaged um are happy therefore they are you know likely to be more productive 
um, and likely to want to stay with us for longer. Yeah. Well, listen, I mean, the time has just completely flown by. I think we might have to bring you back to continue the conversation because I know that on that Women at Work report, you've covered so many other aspects as well that we didn't even have a chance to dive into. Um, But this has been a total joy. And I'm so glad that you're here and you're talking about this very, very important issue. Um, And for people who are interested in accessing that Women at Work report, where should they go? So if you go onto Deloitte.com, which is our main global website, um, it's clearly signposted um, on there. So you'll be able you'll be able to see it. Um, also, anyone that follows me on LinkedIn um, will be able to access it via my LinkedIn as well. So, I mean, yeah, great. I, I really, really recommend. This is kind of like how this whole whole interview came about is because I came across <laughs> that report and I was like, oh, this is so important like we really need to talk about this and i'm so thankful that you took the time out to come here and share it with us Um, and i definitely encourage everybody listening to download a copy as well so uh thank you again for being here now for all of you thinkers out there what did you think of the show if you're a feeler how did hearing this make you feel and for all of you doers what are you going to do based on what you've heard Now, regardless of what your personality code is, my goal is to spread the word that burnout is a unique experience. And by decoding it, you can find solutions that are equally unique to you. Help me spread this message by subscribing to the show on Apple or Spotify and leaving us a review telling us what you think, feel, or do differently because of the show. If you're watching us on YouTube, you can also leave me a comment or questions to answer in future episodes And please recommend the show to anyone struggling with burnout. If you are ready to take the next step with me to DYB, go to decodeyourburnout.com and I'll see you right back here next week. Take care, everybody.